thank you for listening to this episode of the Night Sky Podcast. My name is Billy Newman. And I'm Marina Hansen. And this week we're going to be talking about the things happening above us in the sky for the, uh, I guess, 23rd, 22nd of April to almost the end of April, right? That's like the yeah. week that we're in now. I was looking at some of the events that were going on and then we're kind of going to dig into a couple things about the planets that you can see right now. It'll be fun to talk about. It's going to be cool. There's a lot of stuff going on right now and we've done a lot this last week too. Yeah. Of, we've done some observational kind of things. Yeah. Which is, which is definitely the way to go. We got to do more, uh, more observation stuff I as much so. as we can. This is, this is the season for us that that becomes the most possible, especially here in Oregon and in the Willamette Valley in the winter Definitely. and this winter. I think it's been an El Nino year, they say, but you know, there's been some nice days too. It's been some nice days. A lot of waves of, of clouds though. So it's most, pretty stormy right yeah, now, as a matter of fact. Most of November, December, January, February, and I'd say March are all months where there's really consistent cloud cover and there's a very slim chance that you'll be able to have a continued amount of good observational viewing nights for stars or, or for astronomical events that are going on. Like in the mornings, we rarely, I think, had a day to do observations of the five planets being up in, at the beginning of February. Yeah, there really wasn't a good opportunity for it here. There were a lot of clouds. Yeah, the there were covered. a lot of clouds. Yeah. And uh, so we were able to see, uh, you know, a few things a couple times, but I think yeah, this is the time of year for us in the middle of April as the weather starts to break for us as we kind of start moving into May and even really still at the end of April and into May, there's a good chance that we're going to have a lot of days that are a little bit mixed. Even right now, we're dealing with a little bit of mixed weather, whereas this afternoon, it was nice and sunny. Yeah. <laughs> we have a, a thunderstorm Pretty passing through. Yeah, so, lightning earlier. Yeah, it was, it was cool. Um, so there's there's a lot of change going on atmosphere or you know atmospherically weather wise for us, but it's finally the time of year where we're going to get some good observation nights, and it's a lot of fun too because it starts getting dry enough and warm enough and you know nice enough out at night that we can jump out and uh, and do a couple things that take a little bit more time outside. What I want to do really bad is I want to get out to a spot that has um, some dark sky, like a place that's Me that's too. pretty far away from a lot of civilization stuff and we should try a few of the things that we did the other the other night and we should do some stuff uh with uh with our cameras like photographically we should try and take some pictures of the milky way um, or you know yeah. some some wider expanses of a place i think that'd be really cool i'd really to like try to and do, do that. yeah we should try and do some of those photographs that we see of like that rich milky way look that we that we could pick up It'd be a lot of fun to try, especially in a spot that has uh, like a really good dark sky. Up on the Steens is great, or just really yeah. anywhere out in Eastern Oregon, you can you can get a really good spot um, that's away from town and that you know could be a hundred miles away from another small town. You know, that's the next place that you can see light from. Yeah, I think that some uh, Eastern Oregon observations would be really good. Yeah, it'd be fun to try. You know, it'd be cool, especially right now, um, just because Jupiter is so bright and so high. And then also the summer with uh, Mars being so bright, um, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty neat, but you can, you can see a, a shadow cast. We talked about it last time. You can see a shadow cast by those big planets. And it's really cool that you can, you can tell that you can kind of see a, a cast shadow on the ground if it's really dark out or you can kind of cool. make your way or you can see by starlight is sort of what you're noticing. So it's pretty strange to see, but Jupiter is real bright right now. And uh, it was cool to see. There's a lot of planet stuff going on. That's probably what we're going to talk about th through the podcast is, uh, is Mercury. Just the other day hit its greatest elongation. We had talked about that uh, when we were talking about uh, Mercury making its, its transit into the evening sky uh, for a good part of April. And so we've been able to see that 
in the evenings. Uh, I guess a little bit lower than like, it looks lower than Capella. It's, it's cool because in the evening, we saw it the other, or last week when we were driving back from, from Woodburn, um, we, we, we could look out to the western horizon and you could see Mercury um, really quite far to the north. I was kind of surprised because in January, and this is sort of that system of, of the tropics that we have, like Tropic of Capricorn, Tropic of Cancer, and that, that rock, the rotation that the Earth does to create the different seasons. So in the winter, when we were able to see Mercury um, at the end of December, I think the beginning of January, I think we were driving back from New Year's from Portland. We could look out and doubt down deep into the southwest. You could see a point of light, and that was Mercury. And then now, mm-hmm. as the daylight hours have gotten a lot later, as we have late a lot or light a lot later into the evening, uh, we're able to look out. And now the ecliptic line um, is going much further north, and that's why the sun sets much further north, and that's why we have much later evenings of or much later sunsets in the evening and then it goes up to the solstice and then kind of starts to cast back down but that ecliptic line that follows that that seasonal progression of the sun also and so that's why right now we have mercury that's setting really far to the north kind of uh well i mean not unusually but it's just kind of cool to see it for this long and at a position of greatest elongation when it's uh, setting this far to the north um, so I think that means it sets pretty late into the evening, but it's cool to see. It's been fun. There's been a couple nights that we've been able to see it pretty well. And I think we'll have maybe another week or so to get that best period of observations, but it's, it's made it to its top point, And then now it's starting to come back down in its cycle, come back down toward the horizon or, or back down toward the sun. It's interesting how it cycles like that or yeah. how it makes that, uh, elliptic, uh, ecliptic shape. Yeah. It's, it, it's cool. It's interesting how it does that. Um, I don't, I don't really understand all of Mercury's movements. There's like a different, different sets of cycles for each of the planets, like when they're predicted to show up in the evening versus the morning or, you know, like when they're going to be in position for it. Now it's more scientifically determined about, you know, based on where their orbits are. But in the past, there have been all these, like these little systems and rhythms of like, uh, you know, like a Venus has an eight year cycle of how many times it'll show up this many times in the evening during this period of spring and this period of fall. That sort of a thing, right? And then, and then this many times, you know, in the morning, that sort of thing. It's kind of figured out, or it's got this little like clockwork pattern that it does. Um, and so, I think people have been kind of picking up on that for a couple thousand years now. But it's still interesting to see, you know, Mercury make these kind of interesting motions across the sky. But it's cool. We've been able to observe Mercury a few times over uh, the last couple of weeks. And then the big one that we, we've been looking at a lot is uh, is Jupiter. We've been checking Jupiter out a lot. It's yeah, been a lot that's of, right. Well, because it's cool. It's up in Leo right now, and it's just kind of uh, straight up into the sky. I think it's coming up to its zenith point, uh, which is the highest point in the sky. I think it's called a zenith and a nadir are the two terms. So when you look up at the highest point in the sky, that's the zenith. And when you look at the lowest point in that sphere, that's the nadir. Oh, interesting. I knew the zenith point. I don't know if I was uh, as familiar with the nadir, though. I think that's what it is. Is that azimuth? I don't know what an azimuth is, but that's like its progression from the horizon up to the highest point. Is that what that is? An az- The azimuth? I do not. You know what? I don't know either. But we've been looking at Jupiter. It's high up in the sky, and it's cool. We have a, a pretty simple telescope, but it's cool. Very simple. <laughs> it's my telescope from the 90s when I was a little kid. 
and we've got it. <laughs> we've got it. And, uh, and, it, and we've got it set up working well enough. Well, first thing we did is we looked at the moon and we've been looking at the moon in a couple different phases of its cycle. Also, I think tonight is a full moon. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be over, uh, close to Scorpio tonight. That's cool. Which would be cool too. It'll be in a couple star or a couple near a couple planets. We talk about that in a bit too, but we've been watching the progression of the moon over the last couple of nights. So the first couple of nights that it was, um, in front of or west of Jupiter in the sky. And then there's a track back, uh, close to Jupiter, then right up next to Jupiter just a couple of days ago. And then now past Jupiter and now over by Spica and into Scorpio now. And it's been cool to kind of watch the progression and then watch the phases of the moon as the moon gets uh, brighter and brighter. And so what we've been trying to do is use this telescope to make observations of the moon each night. And we've been kind of looking at different things that we you know, were able to see. And it's cool how you can examine the moon once you have a telescope or once you have a real close view of it, the different things that you can see. It was really interesting seeing, uh, seeing it in so much detail. There are so many craters on it. It's yeah, so many craters. It's difficult to see him, you know, from Earth, or you, you can't yeah, really find the detail well. in that way as like a real spherical object that you're looking at. It's difficult. It kind of, it sometimes just has that pancaked, you know, s circle look to it. Yeah, like it's just it's, it's just pretty, out there and, and it exists, but you can't really see it. Yeah, light. yeah, it was cool. So do you remember that first night when we were looking at the moon? You could see out, and then on that meridian line of the day night line, that's where you could see that contrast in the craters that was right. there. Yeah, and it was cool because that, that's where you get the most definition. You can you can refine the most. But outside of that, like once it gets into what would be high noon on the moon, or what would be just you know the really bright part of it, all the shadows are flattened out, and you yeah. can't you can't resolve. There's the really no definition in it anymore. Yeah, it's really strange. And so, and I remember learning that before that the best time to make observations of the moon is is early on, or is early into the crater, or in in its crescent period is a good time to take observations of the moon and then as it kind of builds up. But during a full moon, it ends up being more complicated because it's so bleached out. It's like we're looking straight down at the moon at high noon. Like it would be right. light here on Earth at high noon. There's no shadows to, to give any contrast except for shadows that point straight down that sort of blur the contrast lines right. that you'd really want to find. So it ends up being, you know, just not as useful. Like we're looking at when we look at the moon. We get the, that good contrasted feeling right at that day night meridian line wherever the the sunset of earth is from the view of the moon which would be cool to see because it would last for a whole day it would just be the earth <laughs> at the edge but there's no atmosphere on the moon so i guess it wouldn't look uh too different but it's cool though to check out the moon you know when we're looking at the, the little craters and then so as you check it the next night you see that the the phase has progressed and that you can see and resolve new craters that were now or that were yesterday uh, shadowed in the dark side of the moon. Now they've been revealed into light as, as the phases of the moon kind yeah. of progress. So it's cool to, to kind of watch it move on. Yeah, it's been it's been really interesting seeing uh, seeing how yeah. it changes along the line. It's hard, kind of like you were just saying though. It's we, it's hard to map it out though, or you have to kind of remember where yeah. the other ones are because you can't see them. Yeah, after it, it is, moves along. We have to yeah we have to kind of place a couple uh, good. Well, it's difficult understanding first of all. The, the telescope kind of twisting the oh, upside yeah. down and backward. Being upside down. Yeah. <laughs> and it, so that's a little interesting to, to sort of reorient yourself to. But then it's best when you can kind of like map yourself to a couple landmarks on the moon right. or a couple shapes. And I think you can do that as you get more used to things or more used to the full moon, what you can't, you know, if you're looking at it in a phase, you know, when we were looking at, we have this cool little moon globe 
And so it's a yeah. globe, like a globe of the earth, like an atlas of the earth or, you know, a little globe, you know, it kind of has the, the resolution of the, the pieces that are around the moon. It shows like the dark side or the far side of the moon that we don't get to see. And uh, so we were like holding it up and trying to figure out what part we were looking at or like a what angle so we could kind of like identify the different pieces or the different landmarks that we were looking at. And it was just really difficult to do. We weren't really sure. Yeah, there are so many craters on the moon. Well, yeah. There's she, a ton of them. It's hard when you can see we, a line of them. Well, yeah, we were real accurate into like we where were. we were holding it. But, we found the shadows yeah. and stuff pretty well or the... Yeah, well, it's tough. We should take a look at it, you know, in the next night or two, and we should see uh, some of the things that are revealed now that we can that we yeah. can see, and sort of look at the landmarks of like, oh, well, we we hadn't hit this part, which we can name and find now. Now that's revealed in the light, but it was you know right around this section, so maybe you know maybe it was these two craters, or you know maybe it was this mm -hmm. line, that sort of a thing. But it'll be kind of fun. We should we should do more of that though. We should kind of watch I'd the like moon's it's been, progression. It'd be cool. Yeah, it's been really cool uh, using the telescope more or just yeah. tracking it and yeah. watching it every night. And yeah, it was cool. Seeing how it moves. Yeah, I like doing that. We got to do that more. We got to pick up. We got to go for. We got to get a real telescope. A real too. telescope. That'll be uh, that'll be a little Kickstarter. A GoFundMe page for the Night Sky Podcast <laughs> is uh, support <laughs> support Billy and Rena getting telescope. a telescope. It'd be really fun. I'd want to get uh, the camera attachment for that someday, like we've been talking really about. Like yeah, that. and put the um, yeah put a put a digital SLR into that so that we can take photographs. Because I think so. I think if I've understood right, um, there's a couple different types of telescopes. So we get into a ton of it, but I think we're using a refractor telescope, and then there are reflector telescopes. I think reflector telescopes are the ones that are like the, the Dobsonian telescopes and the oh. Newtonian telescopes yeah. where the light comes into the barrel and then goes all the way down to the back end of the barrel, the floor, and then bounces back up and then hits an objective lens that focuses the light out to your eye so you can see it. Yeah. And so that there's that system of light collection. Cause I, I've heard this before too, is that a telescope's job isn't really to magnify you there as much. Mm -hmm. What it is, is to help you get a bigger aperture of an eye to collect more light for a dim object. So you can get a better resolution of it when you look to it. Right. It's kind of interesting how that works, but I, I've heard That's that before. Is that kind of the idea that the Dobsonian ones are based off of, or like how they're designed? Yeah, it really it would be it would be really similar to that too. Is that that's why they use those those really? Ooh, do you hear that thunder? There's so much thunder! Whoa! Wow! So cool! Ooh. Gotta it's shut my uh, noise gate off sometime. Uh, it's probably just pure silence. I don't know if we broke the gate, but it's cool. We can hear thunder. <laughs> I think it clicked in the microphone when the lightning bolt struck, or when I saw the light outside. There's like a little snap, a little interference. Whoa. Um, shoot. So yeah, we were talking about telescopes. Yeah. So the, the job of the telescope is to collect as much light as possible. And that allows us to refine or get a better resolution. Um, kind of like what, what we were able to do when we looked at Jupiter, finally, like when we get back yeah. to looking at Jupiter, um, we have this little refractor telescope. It's perhaps it's the smallest line of telescope. So I think it's a three and a half inch It's very small. And yeah. And I think for refractors, you want to do more than four inches. Okay. Um, I think yeah. is the idea. Yeah, that's when you start getting a better resolution to be satisfying for amateur astronomy stuff. Yeah. That's when it gets more fun. Um, but like we were able to see with ours, given what we're talking about, we could barely make out uh, the bands of Jupiter. 
Yeah, that's right. And but it still looked really like a point a point of light, and you mm-hmm. could you could barely kind of make out that there was some some, some texture, some context yeah. that we, we couldn't really see, like the storm, anything like that that was invisible for us. Uh, but we could make out the points of light that were the moons too, which is which yeah. is really the fun thing to observe about Jupiter, at least with the gear that we have, mm-hmm. um, is checking out the moons and their rotation and stuff. And so, and we can see it's really satisfying because you can see night to night to night how quickly they change. Oh yeah, it's really interesting. It is really interesting. Yeah, it's cool. You can see how quick it is, you know, or like you could just kind of tell, like, whoa, yeah, these are really it's moving around each other. Yeah. And it's cool, yeah. It's it's fun. It's fun to get to observe. It is really one of the most real things in space that you can just look out to that you're not really aware is just right out there happening and working around you all the time. And it's cool. You get to kind of you know just put a tool up and look at it, and you know you get to see something that people I guess didn't get to see for thousands of years. But it's pretty cool. Yeah. I heard, I've heard though that you can see like Ganymede or with the naked eye, you can tell that there's like a moon around Jupiter. I had wanted, yeah, I had wanted to bring that up cause I was wondering. I've heard that you can't, but I've heard that there was, there was a thought that Jupiter had like a little brother or like a little companion or something that would be with it wherever it was. So I don't know if that's true, but. I don't know either. It's, I think maybe I've just looked at it in telescope enough now yeah. that. I'm tricking myself. Yeah. But I swear maybe. sometimes it looks like there's like a little extra twinkle around it. You know, it might be. Or there's like we some should kind of look at how to spot it. Part. Yeah, I, we should. That'd there's lots of things that people can do once once they figured out that something's there. Like you can spot Venus in the daytime. Yeah. I, at some periods, you know, but you can spot Venus in the day sometimes. It's really cool. Like you can see the moon in the day. You know, if you know the right spot. Oh, I yeah. You can see yeah, moon. you can totally see the moon in the day pretty easily. Yeah. It's not that well, hard that's, that's easy. And then, but Venus is difficult. And I guess yeah. there's some periods that you can do it decently. And yeah, it's, it'd be really strange, but it's not something you would know to do or. or yeah, you have to kind of know to look in the spot. Day, be, it's hard. It seems like it'd be hard. But it's cool, though, that you can do something like that. So um, so there might be a chance that, yeah, we could see, you know, a real dim sixth, seventh magnitude point (laughs) of light around Jupiter uh, that would be like one of the moons or, or, you know, something like that. But they're they're real dim, even in the telescope. They're they're real small points of light. Um, It's really cool, though, to see. See, they weren't discovered until like 1610. That's the date listed of discovery or the date of observation with, uh, with Galileo and his telescope and his observations that he, uh, ended up publishing scientifically. Um, and, but it's cool though, that, uh, you know, we're able to look out now with our telescope and check stuff out. It's really cool. Yeah. It's yeah. Fun. It was a lot of fun getting to see, uh, Jupiter for the first time when I was a kid and I used that telescope, I could only find the earth's moon. Really. It's hard setting up a telescope. It Especially with it being mirrored and upside down. Yeah, right? it is a little yeah. tough. There, there's a lot of um, nicer tools now. Those little rockers that you can use, those dials that, that right. kind of slow, use- that fine tuning where you can kind of roll it on a gimbal across and you, you can kind of track an X, Y, Z axis to, to sort of point yourself out on the grid in a, a pretty comfortable way. Yeah. It's easier now. Or like follow moving things like Jupiter, how it's kind of tracking. Right. Or, or any of the stars because yeah. we're, we're just rolling away from them. I think we got the chance uh, last last year to use a telescope that was set up like that, where it was on a, a system where you'd you'd uh, yeah you'd adjust it yeah and, kind of and we roll. looked at I think Jupiter and maybe 
the moon or something I at the time. So. Yeah, it was cool to do that. Um, and, it, and it's really comfortable. That's Seems the like a lot easier of a method. That's the type of thing I want to get. Yeah, if, we, uh, if we're able to pick up a, a new telescope. There's there's so many other things. Like that's that's the old technology. Now, you know, they have like the, the, you know, punch in the code and it will auto track to where it <sighs> says the object's supposed to be yeah. and it'll hold with it. It's kind of interesting. I'm not really that interested in that. I think that's sort like, of a, a gimmick or a... Yeah, uh, I like the idea of finding it. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. That's what I'm for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's cool if you don't want to have to hassle with it too much. Um, yeah, that's but it's, cool. it's a fun idea to just kind of set it and have a fight. It's a, it's a pain to just kind of float and like it sort of is. float around back and forth to see if you can sweep for just a little point of light that you can <laughs> tell is Jupiter. It's obvious when you look at Jupiter because it's so much brighter and it's so it bright is, yeah. right now. Um, but it's really cool. Yeah. Getting to see, uh, the little, the little moons around it. So we were going to talk a little bit about, um, about Jupiter and about Jupiter's moons and, and sort of what you can see and what we were able to see when we were checking out the telescope. Um, so there's the four moons that you can see there's IO, Europa, Ganymede and Callisto. And, uh, those four moons make up 99% of the mass of moons around Jupiter. So almost all the weight, almost all the mass the physical volume of, of moon around Jupiter is really in those four moons. But there are 67 listed moons around Jupiter. And so that means that really there's like 1% of the mass of the moons is spread out between the other set of moons, which it's is a, lot a of huge tiny amount. Moons. <laughs> it's a lot, yeah. And so I was kind of looking at that because I was like, well, how does that really work? I mean, there's, is, there's really four moons, right? And then there's a lot of small pieces. And that's really the case. 99%. It's like, it's a lot of it that isn't there. Um, and so I guess I was looking into that a little bit. So there was the four moons that uh, were discovered in 1610. And then there were all the later moons that were discovered. And I think the first ones were in, it was like the 1830s and then into like 1904. And then up to 1977, there had been 16 moons total found. Um, so I guess, I don't know. Well, yeah, like another 12 on top of the four that we had. And it was a, shoot, I think it was in 1977 that the Voyager 1 passed by Jupiter and then took a lot of photographs. And that was the point that we had a point of, a point of reference, photographs, you know, actual new data that was a lot closer to Jupiter. And so that was what allowed astronomers to map and then find the new moons that they had added to the list after 1977. That's how we moved from 16 moons in the year 1977 and then that bursting up to past 2004 when they added more and then now to the point where we have 67 moons around Jupiter. It's a lot of extra stuff that's been added over uh, a short period of time. I remember looking at an astronomy book when I was a kid and it said that Jupiter had 16 moons. I was like, whoa, yeah, well, it's like way more now. That was in the 90s or something that that, you know, it had been up in the 50s or whatever it was considered at the time. But I didn't realize it, that they're all really small objects. There's really only a, a couple of the moons that have um, a planetary mass, I think is what it would be. But it's that point where there's enough mass uh, for the body to pull itself into a round or a spherical shape. Um, or near spherical oblong shape. But, uh, but a lot of these moons are really just like asteroid or asteroids, really, you know, or they're like clumps of stuff. They're things that haven't been able to pull themselves down into round shapes. There's a few objects that are relatively able to, but really not too many. So it's cool. What we can see in the telescope is Io, Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto. Io is the closest, then Europa. That's, so Io is like the volcanic one. 
has a, a huge amount of tidal fo- forces from Jupiter that's keeping the surface of the planet really hot and molten almost. You know, so there's lots of volcanoes and stuff. Then there's Europa. It's very different. It's a lot of water. And I think it's a lot of frozen water. There's thought that the tidal friction from Jupiter, like it affects Io and keeping its surface hot, also keeps the near core or inner surface under the ice hot or warmer with uh, tidal friction from Jupiter. So it's thought that there could be a liquid ocean on Europa that could support life if it was warm enough. But it's kind of an interesting idea. That's where there's a lot of uh, speculation on what kind of things could, uh, you know, could exist or live in the world or or outside of our world and in our solar system. It's kind of cool. So there's Io, Io, then Europa, the ice world. And then uh, there's Ganymede. That's the biggest moon in the solar system. It's huge. It's bigger than Mercury. We were looking it up, is. Right? There are a few that are bigger than Mer- Mercury. Yeah. I didn't realize how small Callisto is, is almost the, si- the same size as Mercury. Yeah, I think Mercury I mean, is bigger, but it's, they're it sister like sizes. They're about the same though, yeah. Yeah, I was really surprised to, to think then, about that, that there are moons that are that are larger than than a planet that we can see. Yeah, you know, and a, there's, was it Titan from yeah, Saturn? Yeah, Titan also bigger? is really big. We should, we should look at Saturn because you can we see should. Titan also. I think you can see oh, five really moons cool. around Saturn. We should definitely check that. Yeah, out. we should definitely do that. It'd be really cool. I think it'd be a lot of fun to, to try and spot Wait, a bunch of stuff around Saturn, and we can see the rings really well. That'd be really fun to do. But um, but yeah, like around Jupiter, um, there's yeah Ganymede, which is bigger than Mercury. There's uh, Callisto, which is also pretty big. I think bigger than our moon, or about the same size as our moon. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's cool, but yeah, uh, and then, so yeah, I think those are the furthest out. So when we looked up at it, you could see, it's kind of that thing when you look up, you see like like one, two, and then a third out on the left side, and then there's one far out on the right side. And then the next night you see two on the left side and then two on the right side. And you go, whoa, how'd that one move so fast? I guess it's Io? I'm not sure yet. We got we to like watch oh, it for yeah. a longer time. I was trying to figure out which one was which as we've been watching a move around. Some of them I'm not pretty as fast periods, yeah. But what we're looking at is the, the internal or, you know, the, we're looking at them kind of spinning around each other. And yeah. so that's, we had that comment early on, um, I think from uh, Great Britain, I'm pretty sure is where it was from. But yeah, we had that comment. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, he was telling us about the order of the moons and he was also telling us about um, this part that we're, like the order that we see through the telescope isn't necessarily the order like first first to last right. of the moon because they're, um, you know, they're, they're, they're in there. orbit, they're in an elliptical orbit around Jupiter, and but they're kind of at a flat plane to us. So we see them kind of pass back behind Jupiter and then out in front of Jupiter. And so their order could be kind of scattered um, in the observation when we look out or their order inner to outer orbit can be scattered from our perspective, looking two-dimensionally out in a, into a telescope at it. But it's cool. It's really fun to observe. And then you kind of get a better understanding or uh, I bet just like looking out at the stars, you're going to get a quick understanding of uh, what characteristics fit which moon. And you'd probably be better yeah. able to identify each fairly quickly. Probably. Over time. It'd be fun though. But it was fun to pull up the, the telescope and, uh, and take a peek at it a couple of times. And it's just in such a good spot right now because it's up all night long and it's, it's really bright. It's really, I think it's at one of its brightest positions that it's or brightest um, points that it's going to be for us and it's uh, passing right now. So it's cool. 
well, you know, very cool. I'm not sure how that goes. I guess it does get dimmer and brighter as we get, you know, close side and then far side from it. But I was wondering if that if it affects Jupiter the same way as like it does Mars. Like Mars right now is really bright. Like yeah, like and how we were talking about it's getting way brighter up and through the end of the month and the beginning of next month. Yeah, I don't know how that is for you. Yeah, well, Jupiter's a little bit different. It it does get dimmer. There will be it's very bright right now. There will be times that we see it where it'll look a good bit dimmer. But really often, it's a pretty bright. It is, yeah. It's, that we see. it's a pretty easy one to spot. Yeah, Saturn's the one that's a little bit more flexible. There are times where Saturn is really a significantly bright item in the sky, and then other times where it's really very dim. Same with Mars too. Mars can be. Suit was just very nondescript, uh, up like a third magnitude item in the sky, just a little point of orange. And then like right now it's almost as bright as Jupiter. It's like a two and a half or coming up onto two, uh, negative two, excuse me, negative two magnitude object in the sky. So it's like almost as bright as Venus gets in the evening or as Jupiter is up in the night sky mm-hmm. right now. It's really, really quite bright. It's cool. It's cool to check out, but yeah. So Shoot, I think there was, oh, there was other stuff about Jupiter too. So there's, the, well, there's the full moon coming up. That's tonight. Right. It's going to be over towards Scorpio. And so if you stay up late enough, I guess around like 2 a.m. or so, it'd probably be coming up around here for us around 2 a.m. Um, but tonight it'd, it'd be it'd be up a little sooner, um, the full moon at least. But you can yeah. look at, you can see the full moon and then you can see um, Mars and Saturn out into Scorpio and Mars is still making its trek, uh, I guess, east or eastwardly into Scorpio. And right. then at the end of May, on like the 30th, it's going to push starts. back out toward Libra, which is going to be real strange. Yeah. But it'd be cool. We should look at Mars at its real close pass. And then uh, we should look at Saturn. We should see its rings too, because I guess right now it's in a good really position cool. to observe the rings. It'd be cool. I hear on Mars, when you look at it through a telescope, uh, you can see the ice caps. Oh, really? Yeah. And I guess they look kind of gray or greenish. It's sort of an okay. optical illusion with the reddish color. Our eyes kind of balance it or try and white uh-huh. balance it. And so this white color or gray color ends up looking kind of green to us. At the That's beginning, early on, they thought it was a seasonal change where Mars oh. was a planet and it was going through its growing season at that time. And so there was like a field growing or like algae growing or something is what they had thought. Some kind of crop oh. growing. The Martians growing a crop. Yeah, motion crops. <laughs> yeah, that's what they're thinking it was, um, but it was really just uh, this kind of gray, I guess, frost or ice cap is something like that. But that's um, cool. Yeah, That'd be really neat to observe. It is cool. You can't you can't see really quite a bit. I'm not sure what ours is going to show. Like we were talking about it's at the not beginning. The best telescope, so we'll be able to see. <laughs> we might not see that. As little well. planet. Hey, it's Mars. Hey. Well, we might be able to resolve something, but kind of like Jupiter. It might, it might really appear sort of similar to that. Saturn's, Saturn's satisfying because you can really make out that the ring. That, the ring. Yeah. And, and you're like, hey, whoa, that's not a little dot. That'd be really cool to see. Yeah, it would be cool. And it gets way more fun when you get a better telescope. Yeah. Like we were talk, talking about the object of a telescope is to collect as much light as possible. So the wider that that aperture gets, the more light you're going to be able to collect. Similar like to how we talk about photography, the wider the aperture gets the more light is going to be let in in a shorter amount of time. And so for our eye, what that allows us to do is as we get it past, um, let's say for like um, a reflector telescope, like a Dobsonian or a Newtonian telescope, um, if we get past a six or an eight inch or up to a 10 inch 
uh, barrel, then we're able to collect a lot of light and get a better resolution. And I've really seen some pretty impressive um, views of the planets. Like you can see, like you can see a lot of banding in Jupiter and you can see a pretty significant amount of the moon. It's really cool. That is really cool. Yeah. yeah. Or I'm, Saturn too. You can see more texture and you, or you can just kind of make out the ring in a, in a better way. It doesn't look like kind of a fuzzy dot with a hat on it. You know? it's like, <laughs> it looks a little silly sometimes, but at other times it can be pretty fun. Um, so yeah, I guess a full moon tonight. And then uh, what else is there going on? I don't think there's going to be too much going on for the rest of the week. It sounded like it was going to be a little low. There are a few, a few things going on. There's like a comet out in Fucus. But it was like a sixth or seventh magnitude. It'd be real difficult to see. It's one of those deep sky objects that uh, we'll wait until uh, we get that big telescope. Hey. Then we'll start uh, comet hunting a little more. <laughs> It'd be a good time. It's a good plan. I want to see a cool comet come by again. Like, uh, it's been years. It's been they're rare. A long time. Yeah. That's why they're cool. Is, you know, they happen like a, a handful of times in life. But I guess that's why Haley's comet was always so cool because it was predictable. There's all this kind of 87 year cycle. We're probably the people who really may not get to see it because it's like it happened like just a couple years after uh, we were born. So I think we have to wait around until. Yeah, we have to wait around until like the, the 20, 2080s. Ugh. Uh, fingers crossed, but. 2080s, <laughs> man, what are we going to be doing then? It'd be crazy. Looking out of our super giant telescope. Super giant telescope. Uh, Haley's Comet. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. We'll have the biggest telescope by 2080. <laughs> Be pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think that's just about everything that we have to talk about for this episode of the Night Sky Podcast. I want to say thank you very much, Marina, for joining me today. I want to say to anyone listening, I appreciate it very much. Uh, leave us a comment, shoot us a, a message or something like that, or uh, subscribe or rate the podcast. Anything like that kind of helps establish that it's actually a podcast. Uh, which would be cool to do. So if you could do that for us, that'd be awesome. Uh, I guess you guys can tune in next time. Thanks for subscribing. And on behalf of Marina Hansen, my name is Billy Newman, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Night Sky Podcast.